Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by Jimmy John's Gourmet Sandwiches. Jimmy John's has three locations in Amarillo, two along I-40 and one downtown near the ballpark. With baseball season underway, the downtown location is open for all games, and these franchise locations are owned and operated by an Amarillo resident. Jimmy John's is dedicated here in Amarillo to giving back to this community, so go eat some sandwiches. Today's episode is a little different. It's a live recording of Hey Amarillo's first ever live show. It was recorded last Friday night in front of a live audience at ArtsFest, and it was a lot of fun. My guest for the evening was Hayden Pedigo. And just one note before it starts, we did record this live. Um, and uh, we're, we're still trying to figure out uh, the best way to do that. So there are a few audio issues. I hope you'll forgive that, um, especially at the beginning. Go ahead and listen through. Uh, but but there are a few glitches. I, I hope that's cool. Thanks for listening. Here's the show. Okay, so a lot of times when I introduce a guest, I mention their career first. But that doesn't really work for tonight's guest, Hayden Pedigo. Hayden works at a local credit union, but he's known for a lot more than that. He's a guitarist, uh, an experimental guitarist, and Texas Monthly and NPR have both covered his experimental music. And when he launched a campaign for city council in this most recent election, Rolling Stone covered it. So there's a film documentary in the works. It's focusing on millennials and voting and why it's important for Hayden's generation to get involved in politics. And more than just about anyone else in Amarillo, other than like the sod poodles, Hayden's been getting national attention for doing something unique. It's the good kind of attention because he's, he's doing good things. So naturally, I wanted to talk to him about it. So here's Hayden Pedigo. Hayden, thanks for being here. Great to be here. This is great. I, uh, so I'll do the thing that I do at the beginning of every interview, and I say, well, I want to talk about city council mm-hmm. or your music, yeah. uh, but first let's hear your Amarillo story. So how did you end up here in this place? Um, I've lived in Amarillo my entire life. My parents have lived here their entire life. Uh, grew up, my dad owned an advertising agency here, but was also a pastor who, when I was a kid, he was preaching at Faith City Mission. And then around the ages about 12 years old, my dad was a preacher out at the Petro truck stop. Um, they have a chapel out there and a converted trailer. So most of my teen years were spent out there. It was kind of homeschooled weirdo kid that was into odd music with the pastor, pastor dad. So that, I mean, I've, I've always been here. Was, so that, that's, that's a different story from most pastor kids. I mean, most pastors are going to have a church congregation and you are, you know, there, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on pastors' kids because, you know, they're high profile and you see them all the time. But your dad pastored like an itinerant population at a truck stop. Yeah. So it wasn't quite the same thing. But I mean, did you feel like you were part of some sort of religious church kind of thing or was it different? Um, it was kind of different because when you have like a congregation that's at a truck stop, it's different truckers every week. And you see all of these different perspectives across the country stopping through there. And you, you saw so much odd stuff. But it was kind of odd for me because we never went to traditional churches. No youth groups. You didn't have friends at church. It was just you went out there with your parents. 
um, met truck drivers and you kind of heard the same similar kind of sermon on a weekly basis because it was new for them but after a while you were like I've heard you know I've heard a lot of this stuff so that's much the, that's the best gig for a pastor yeah I know you never have to switch things up you just have one or two good sermons and you're... yeah <laughs> um, so you, you you didn't go to like a traditional church um, so your your church experience was a little bit different yeah. you were homeschooled so your school experience was a little bit different <laughs> do you feel you feel like that's a positive or a negative in, in kind of how you developed and grew? I mean, I was, it's kind of a yes and no thing because being homeschooled and more isolated, I was more of the, uh, I wanted to get out, I wanted to experience, and I was a weirdo musician, butting heads with super religious parents type thing. Um, and the isolation was a little, a little weird for me. I wasn't a huge fan of it. But then on the other hand, doing homeschooling, I had time to, play guitar constantly after school and dig into weird music. And I was always at the library renting CDs. I don't know if people even do that anymore, but I would rent CDs at the library and books. And that, that was kind of my, my world. Uh, you know, I didn't have much in the way of friends, but definitely a lot of CDs. <laughs> Were, which is second best to friends. Yeah. <laughs> were, you, uh, were you rebellious as a kid? Um, I was definitely rebellious in the sense of uh, an artistic sense. Like I remember I was, I would go to the garage band house and had an electric guitar with chopsticks under the strings and I would just make all this racket through an amp and my dad would just be like, sounds like a mental hospital. Like what do you, like, like it was this weird disconnect where it was like, I don't, I don't get it. And my parents were definitely more conservative. Like I, I remember being 13, I went to a CD store with my dad and I saw Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. And for some reason, he let me buy it. And we walked out, and my mom was like, what is that? And she looks at it, and she goes, oh, that's druggy music. Take it back. And made me walk immediately back into the CD store and, like, return it. So I owned a Dark Side of the Moon for 13 seconds. And I never bought it again. That was the only so time it, I ever owned that record. It was not as influential on your No, I, and, and that was my joke was because I had such conservative parents, I had this mindset of, well, the weirder the music, the less they know about it and less reason for them to say I can't listen to it. So I dug into all of this outsider music. Because, I mean, if you heard a guy making screeching sounds on a saxophone, you can't necessarily say that's against Christianity. It's just weird. You're just yeah. like, oh, like, maybe I'll just shut the door. And, you know, you know, so that's how I got into experimental music, was the less they knew about it, the less reason they had to say I couldn't listen to it. Okay, so I, I, I don't want to presume that my listeners have a good idea of what experimental music is. Mm -hmm. So, like, how, how do you describe your music? How do you make it? What does it sound like? Well, the best way I've described it is I do play guitar and it can be extremely melodic on one hand, but on the other thing, it's very, it can be atonal and just washes of sound. It, it doesn't have a rhythm or a beat or words. It's just uh, um, complete tonal music, like a blanket of TV static. It's just something that's uh, uh, not very user-friendly and it, it, it's outsider, you know, exists outside the realms of what's typical for a lot of music, so... So given that, is it, um, what's, what's the goal of it? Like, what's the purpose? You, you don't really have lyrics. You're not trying to communicate yeah. a message. Are you trying to elicit, like, an emotion in yeah. your listeners? Or how does well, it work? What, what I like to do with my music is, without having words, it, it, it's supposed to be a film soundtrack for your own experience. And, that, and people have told me before that they've never visited Amarillo, and they've heard my music, and they were like, I felt like I visited Amarillo because I lived out in the country growing up, and it was very flat and went on forever and it, it, I, I've always said that 
Oddly enough, Texas has some of the most renowned ambient musicians of all time, William Bozinski, Stars of the Lit, these people that are iconic in ambient music, and they're all from Texas. I've said I think it's because the sky is so endless. It makes so much sense that this ambient, expansive music would come out of Texas, and I was very much influenced by music of space, music of environment. And I've said I, I make country music told people I make country music in the literal sense. And once, uh, to quote Terry Allen, the great Terry Allen once was asked, um, back in the 80s or 90s, um, do you make country music? And Terry Allen said, which country? And that was kind of the zone is, uh, I make country music. Okay. Tell me why, you know, given that you could make the music that you make anywhere, why are you still in Amarillo? Did you did you ever have a moment where you thought, I'm going to get out of here, um, I'm going to go somewhere else to college, or I'm going to go you know, build a music career in Austin or someplace that maybe is, is more conducive to that sort of weirdness, I guess? Uh, I've never wanted to leave here to do music. I've said that, um, luckily with the internet, I've said you can do whatever the hell you want in Amarillo. You can, do, you can do anything, especially now with the internet. There's no limits on it. And something that worked to my advantage for a long time was um, when you do weirdo music, probably when I was about 19, I called the Texas Monthly Tip Line. They had a tip line I called and was like, hey, I make this weird music. And they end up coming out and writing a story on me. Right. And I've said before, if you're like, I'm from Los Angeles and I make experimental music, it's more like, well, yeah, you and thousands of other people. But when you're from Amarillo, people from outside via Texas Monthly Rolling Stone, and we're like, wait, what's going on in Amarillo? Because that's not typical. It's actually worked to my advance with my music because writers are more interested in going, what's going on in Amarillo? That, so, I mean, it always worked to my advantage. And I've always hated when people have asked me, well, uh, I was honestly irritated when Texas Monthly wrote that piece. They said, that literally the title said, the most innovative guitarist, in, it was saying it lives in Texas, but why is he still in Amarillo? And it, was derog- it felt derogatory. And I'm like, why should that... What should that ever be a bad thing? Like, oh, you're really good, but why are you still here? Just like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Why? Tell me why you think that way. Because I, I know there are a lot of people who do sort of have that mindset. You, you have some degree of success. Why haven't you left your home behind? Why haven't you gone someplace that you're supposed to go to do this one thing or to be successful, to get a bigger platform? Yeah. What, what answer do you tell them? Well, because I'm not supposed to go to those places. I'm, I, I feel that I'm supposed to be here. I mean, I've been, I, I feel like this town has given me so much creatively and inspiration-wise, is if it's still giving me that inspiration, there's no reason to leave that because I'm infinitely inspired by Amarillo. It's nonstop, and it's, it's a complete bizarre foil to work off of. Amarillo is one of the strangest places in the world, and it's one of its most incredible assets. It's being strange. And I've said Amarillo needs to be careful not to lose its strangeness because that's actually one of our big things we have is Amarillo is one of the – I can't even just describe it. Yeah, that's my next question. So sorry about that. But <laughs> tell me what that means. Describe, describe what is strange about this city. Well, to me, Amarillo has always felt like a David Lynch film. You have all these odd characters that exist in this place that exist outside of... It feels like it exists outside of time in a beautiful way. I feel like Amarillo works on its own schedule, on its own own time. And I, I think that's, that's the beauty of it. Is no one can ever say... Amarillo is not unique. And I hate to be the one that disses Lubbock. I apologize. I don't hate Lubbock, but I'm going to say the thing is, um, 
Lubbock never had that bizarreness. When you would go there, it always felt kind of pedestrian. Where in Amarillo, any of my friends that are from LA that have never been here before, I bring them to Amarillo, and they're like, this is the most interesting place. There's just something in the air. There's a, a, there's a kind of oddball magic when you have all these different characters and people and demographics and communities that all come together in this bizarre community. And it makes this incredible thing. I think that's what makes Amarillo inherently unique is the unspeakable strangeness of it. You almost don't want to define it because once you start defining it, you know, I, I don't want to remove the mystique. Amarillo has a legitimate mystique to it. Okay, well, I'll, I'll take that question back. Then. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you go to college? Um, I went to Amarillo College for a couple of semesters, but I wasn't, it didn't, it didn't work with me. It was kind of weird. I felt like being homeschooled, I've kind of joked, it made me a little bratty in the sense of, um, I did my work, I did my music, I worked on my own kind of thing. And then when I went to college, it just felt weird. I was like, I'm not used to this. So my, my, my brattiness, I was like, not doing college. I started working at a law firm as a courier. I was 18. And then the afternoon was a bank teller. And then the evenings I would go home and make music and then write emails to record labels and writers just, you know, using the internet. So that when, when we meet each other, most people, they ask you, at least around here, they ask you, what do you do? Do you tell them I'm a, a banker? Or do you say I'm an experimental musician? Or do you say I'm someone who chronicles the unspeakable strangeness of my city? Um, <laughs> hopefully in the conversation I can list all the above. Okay. But if people ask what I do career-wise, they say I work at a credit union here. Ask, and then I'll get into the music and the, the strangeness. Is is that like a is that a long-term career for you, the, the banking world? or probably, I, I mean, I don't, probably not, but the thing that I like about the banking industry is I, I really enjoyed, you had eight to five schedules, you never had to work nights, you never had to work weekends. And it, it worked well with what I was doing and I always kind of thrived off the contrast of it. I enjoy being like the guy making copies and, and then in the evening, playing a weird show in someone's backyard. I enjoy, I thrive off of contrast. That's that's the main thing in my life in every aspect is uh, contrast makes everything interesting. It makes your office job interesting. It makes your music more interesting because when you put these things together, it makes both ends absurd in a, in a great way. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad you brought up um, absurdity uh, because that's a great, <laughs> a great segue into your city council campaign, yeah. which started with a video yeah. That you, I mean, you're on record saying you just wanted to do something absurd. Yeah. Um, and so for people that don't know that story, tell the story of how that video, that very first video came about. Um, so last year, it was August 5th. I had seen a movie by a director named Harmony Corinne, who I was a big fan of, but it was a more clean, polished movie. And I was thinking back to his earlier Spring work. Breakers. Exactly. Spring Breakers, yes. And it was just a clean movie. And I missed Harmony Corinne's 90s works with VHS that were just gritty and were really inspiring to me. And I messaged my friend Alex and said, tomorrow can we go out and make a short experimental film? I'm gonna do something creative. And I said, I wanna go, the original idea was, I said, I wanna go buy a suit at Goodwill and we go to the junkyard and I'll be a used car salesman at the junkyard. So the next day, this is, this is incredible. The next day I went to Goodwill, I bought a suit. Alex was coming over and it was almost four o'clock and I Google it, the junkyard closed at four. He gets there, and I was like, "Well, I already bought this suit. There's no way, like, we there's no we, going we, back. We have to, we have to go make something. So we hopped into the car. We grabbed the metal folding chair um, out of my garage. We had a tape measure, and he was like, maybe like a public official or something, like mayor or something like that. I was like, okay, I kind of like that idea. So we went to Medi Park, and with less than an hour, we did the same where I was measuring 
trench, I threw a chair, just did all these kind of absurd things that were, were kind of meaningless. And then he was like, well, you have to say something at the end, like a statement. And I was like, okay. So he shot it and I said, my name is Hayden Pedigo. I'm running for city council place two. And uh, I, I believe that a lot of local small business owners are straight up getting bonked. Hey, and, and we uh, <laughs> we had to shoot, shoot that one part 30 times because I couldn't keep a straight face. And at the end of the video, I do this weird smirk. It's because I was trying not to laugh because we had done it so many times. So uh, I end up going home. And I'll say, I was wearing a wool suit and it was like 104 degrees. That's why I'm so sweaty in that video is because it was hot. So I went home and this was all shot on a cell phone. It was all shot on a cell phone. I went home, I edited, I put it together, I put it up on Instagram. And my wife was like, you should put it up on Facebook. And I was like, no, I kind of save the weirder things for Instagram I don't put up on Facebook. My wife was like, just put it up on Facebook. So I put it up on Facebook and uh, thought I'd maybe get like 100 likes or something on it. And it started growing and growing and growing. 10,000 views, 15,000 views, 20,000 views. And I was just like, okay, this is getting a little crazy. A few days later, News Channel 10, Amarillo Man announces city council on the sur with surreal video. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, this is, I was like, people are taking this more serious, serious than, than I thought. So it started to build quite a bit. Um, I put it up on YouTube and a kid posted it on Reddit. And I started getting texts the next day. They're like, hey, your video is on the front page of Reddit. So I look at the YouTube video and that over 80,000 views. So it started to grow. And then I, uh, I got um, a, a call from Adult Swim because they uh, had seen it in a development meeting episode where I just sent it in. And they were like, we want to show that clip um, on Adult Swim this Friday at 3 in the morning. I was like, oh, wow. So all of this was happening very, pretty quickly. But during that, during that time, I had a lot of people going, are you actually running? And at the time, I was like, oh, like, I, I'm not a politician. I don't know anything about that. But the thing that kind of hit me was, Previous to the video, I had a lot of thoughts and ideas about Amarillo, and I was kind of like, okay, I have a lot of young people looking at me, and you know, the following building off of this video. How do I take that and use that for actually something positive? Because I was like, I could use this as a joke and laugh it off and move on. Or, or like build your music career with it. I mean, yeah. You got some attention, so use it to do the things that you'd already been doing. Yeah. So, so at that point, I was kind of at a crossroads. I was like, I'm not sure if I actually want to do it, but if I am going to do it, I want to do my research. So I started going around and meeting with people like previous council members, previous mayors, people in the community. It was kind of doing my research going, what is it like to run? And finally, me and my wife talked and I was like, I want to run. I'm going to do a no donation campaign and I want to try to get young people involved in local politics and find a way. How can I take throwing a chair off of a cliff and transcend it into making an actual political change? Because to me, when I thought about that, I was like, that's kind of beautiful when you think of something crazy, absurd, and goofy, and transcending into something serious that has an impact. That sometimes is the most beautiful way you can make an impact, is through something very innocent and absurd and goofy. And I, I mean, that was the tough thing, though, because I said I had two battles I had to fight. I had to convince people that what I was doing wasn't a prank. There was a right. move. A, a because it had it, started it, as a prank. And it, it looked like that. Very much so. Like, nothing about that video looks serious. No one's, I mean, that's why I was amazed the news said, Amarillo Man announces city council run. I was just like, and that was four days after the video went up, you know, but that was the big battle. So, yeah, tell me about that process, you know, because most people decide they want to run for city council or whatever political position. Mm -hmm. They put a team together. They do this, you know, very strategic rollout. 
then they shoot the videos. Well, you just put out a video and then decided maybe I was serious about it. So what, what goes into that thought process other than, well, maybe there are some good things that I could do here? Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of it was, I was honestly kind of terrified for a little bit because a lot of people were looking at what I was doing and I, I wanted it to be more, but I was like, if I'm going to go into this, running for city council is kind of terrifying. Like, that's, that was, I told people that was not something, the actual running was not something I went into lightly, yeah. like the video. The video was something I went into lightly because it was me making a film. Well, you, but, you told me in the past, you don't really like even public speaking. No, I was terrified of public speaking. I was ter- I, I still struggle with stage fright playing guitar. That was, so I, I joked a lot with my wife. I'm like, I have terrible stage fright and I'm running for city council. Like, how does that, how does that even work? But um, it, it was a lot of discussion and thinking and working out because I said, I'm not going to run unless I'm doing it for the right reasons. Because I'm like, I personally think running for city council or mayor, like as a prank, is disrespectful. Yeah. You know, if you start off more surreal and goofy and start trying to take it seriously and talk with people, then definitely do it. Like, I don't think you should have a perfect rollout or way to do it. But if you start to have discussions with people and feel the need to do it and think you could benefit your community, then by all means do it. It doesn't matter if you were 18 or 19, because that was the moment that actually changed it all for me. It was very early on. I was um, invited to speak to a class at Randall High. And I was kind of like, I told the teacher, I was like, I'm not sure if I'm really qualified to speak to school students she was like no 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 it'll be fine just do it come speak to these two classes so i went they showed the videos and it spoke to the kids the kids were all dying laughing because i guess it kind of spoke their language they're like oh this is weird outside outsider kind of stuff and after that they asked questions and there was some every question across the board was asked they um uh like are you married would you ever get divorced like just really odd (laughs) questions which comes up in all the candidates forums yes yes (laughs) But then um, after they all asked their questions, I told them, I said, how old do you think you have to be to run for city council? And they all said, whatever age. And I said, you can be 17 years old and run for city council as long as you're 18 on the day, uh, like by election, you're 18. And they were all stunned because that's around their age. And I was like, all you have to be, you have to be 18 years old. You have to have 100 bucks to get on the ballot. You have to live in Amarillo for six months. You can't have a felony. And they were just kind of like, that's it? Like, that's all that's required? And it's just like, well, and then once after that, you have to figure out what you're doing, why you're running. But the, it was breaking down the barriers of who could do it. Because yeah. I think you have this idea that there's this huge wall separating you from politics. Well, I'm just a kid. I'm just an average guy. Like, it, there, there's this huge wall. I felt like it was kind of taking it down. And after that class, this kid comes up to me. He said, hey, I just want to ask you a question really quick. He said, I grew up in kind of the rougher part of Amarillo. And he said, I see all the development going on downtown, and it's beautiful, and I think it's great. But he said, a lot of those places downtown, I can't afford to go to those places. He said, do you think Amarillo is only getting better for one group of people? And I was kind of blown away because this was a 17-year-old in a class that had asked the most serious question I had been asked by anyone. Yeah. Adult or anyone was this kid. I was kind of like, if you just put it out there and ask. You'll be blown away by what younger people have to say. If, if, if it's presented to them, what do you think? They will come out with these really incredible questions. And it was after that moment that I was like, I need to do this. This is something I need to 
embrace and try to build upon it and let's get younger people involved. That was that was definitely the changing moment for me. Okay, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the campaign. Um, not so much to dig into the details of are you for this or against this or anything like that, but you, you went to all these candidate forums. Um, you know, you got to talk about things. You got to meet voters. You got to interact with the incumbents and the, the other people running. What were some of the, like, the surprises uh, for you during that process? What did you personally learn? Well, I think the big surprise for me was how, uh, when I would do the forums, afterwards, people that I thought would be not interested in what I was doing were complimentary, where they were like, hey, I, the main thing I heard was you surprised me. Because I think people were going to these forums thinking, oh, this is a kid here that's going to be pranking or being goofy. But then I went in with um, serious things that I wanted to say and what I wanted to see for younger people in Amarillo. And the people that you thought would be not interested in what you were doing would surprise you. And I think especially with the forums, with whatever groups you did, it was interesting seeing the dynamics involved and the people that show up. Because sadly, the thing I noticed early on was at the forums, you did not see 20-year-olds. You did not see 30-year-olds. You barely saw any 40-year-olds. And I was like, it was older, already registered voters, people that are going to vote regardless. I mean, sometimes with a lot of those forums, it's a little bit kind of fluff because these are people that are most likely going to be voting anyways. Right. And I started to think, well, there's a lot of people that aren't voting at all. That was the kind of the and the bizarre thing with the forums is seeing um, how how many people don't go to them when this is the, the future of your city and you can go and ask any candidate a question you want, which to me seems like a great opportunity, but it's an opportunity that most people don't not only do they not take advantage of it, they don't even know about it. They're not aware of it. Why do you think that is specifically with your generation, with those 20-year-olds, early 30-year-olds, who maybe were excited about you, but still didn't turn out enough to actually elect you? Um, I'll clarify this. Let me okay. just say, I'm going to clarify. Local politics are boring. But... <laughs> When I say local, but people are getting bumped. It's important. yeah. When I say local politics are boring, I mean it in the sense of it's a lot easier to ignore the thing that's not on TV or not on Facebook constantly. And it, local government is more viewed by younger people as being boring. It's not something they keep up with. They they're not aware of who's on city council. The the one thing I heard the most is people, younger people, going, "What does place one mean?" Like. They didn't know what any of this stuff meant. And I think that's where my generation loses it is because they think it's boring. They don't look into it. And it's not really in their day-to-day discussion. I mean, the most people my age are going to talk about is who's, who's running for president. That's going to be more of the thing that's going to be discussed. Where the more immediate thing like local government that, act, that can actually have an effect on your life. The thing that to me is more interesting to talk about because it's more ground level. It's right. right. It's right here. And... So like the, the 2016 elections, something like 60,000 people in this area voted yeah. in that election. Yeah. And then with this most recent one, the one that actually matters more to our lives here was what, like 13,000? 14,000. 14, because it's, quote, boring. Yeah. Those things are not the things that people pay attention to or discuss or talk about. And it's now that I've done it, it is incredibly infuriating because now you're in this and you're seeing it happen and you feel like this is such a vital thing. And then you realize how you used to be. You're like, it's so, I understand how it can happen because I've been there. I've been that young person that's just like, 
I go to work, I pay my, pay my bills, I go home, I have dinner. Like you, you get into the motion of life and it's a lot easier for those things to not, not be in your, your universe. You don't pay attention to it. Um, and I mean, that, that's the trickiest part is how do you get people engaged? But I think people aren't going to vote on something unless they know that it's something potentially detrimental to them. Sadly, a lot of voting is based off impending doom or, yeah, or things like that. Fear. That's, yeah, fear is a, a big drive with voting. And I'm not saying we should scare people. We need, we need to pump up the doom factor to get people to vote. I'm kidding. But. Some, some of the, uh, the other candidates were good at that. Um, the, the, one of the things I want to ask, and this has always occurred to me when I think People have asked me before, are you going to run for city council? And, and the thing that I've told them is I would be terrified to actually win yeah. because it's a hard job. Yeah. Nobody likes you anymore. Yeah. And you don't get paid any money you know, to do it, $10 a week or something like that. I mean, yeah. Were you prepared to actually win? Had yes. you thought beyond that, what happens if, if I do get elected? Yes, I was fully prepared for that. I mean, there, there was a little bit of hope of that would be incredible if that happened. But I was more prepared to be like, I'm most likely going to lose. Because I am younger, I'm not accepting any money. I'm not sending up mailers, no yard signs, nothing. Right. The, you know, obviously looking at the odds, I was more aware that most likely that's not going to happen. Um, but I mean, I, I would have been fully prepared to serve if that would have happened. But I was, I kind of prepared myself for the most likely outcome. But the thing I said a lot was, my mindset was, even if I don't win, I think there's an opportunity to make big change regardless win or lose. It, I had to look outside of that and go, I can't just go, well, if I win, I'm going to do all of these things. I had to go, well, if I don't win, I also can do a lot of things. I can go out and start educating people my age on why it's important to be involved in your city on, in terms of voting in these elections and being educated on what's going on here. Sometimes I think that has the potential of being possibly having more of an impact, even if I did win or didn't win regardless. I think there's more of an impact that can be had beyond this because I, I feel like I'm personally just starting. This is the beginning of something for me, win or lose. Okay, yeah, so that's my next question is, is what's next? Is, is there something that you can identify, you know, a, a hard direction that you're going to go? Um, or is it just sort of, I'm going to continue this momentum and, and hope to bring some good changes? Well, the thing I kind of realized was I felt it's not just going to be one young person that's going to do it. There's not going to be one young person where it's like, it's him, like he's going to do it. You know, it's going to take 10, 20, 30, 40 younger people that are all going to come together and go, you know, we have some similar ideals and things we want to see change. It's going to be power through numbers where you're going to actually see that happening. And now I feel like now that people know who I am, I mean, the other day I was walking in the mall with my wife and this guy around my age um, was walking with one of his friends. He said, hey, there's that guy that's running for something. Like out loud, he didn't know what it was. Like he didn't know, but but I almost put that in your bio. And yeah, <laughs> he didn't know what I was running for. But the fact that he even knew, hey, it's the guy that's running for something. And I, when I was uh, down in South by Southwest, because I I played South by Southwest this year, I had to go to the Austin Convention Center to go get my badge. And this lady who was working South by Southwest, not from this area, said, aren't you the guy running for mayor? And I, and I laughed. I was like, you know, I'm in Austin. That's kind of cool that even though it wasn't technically correct, they knew what I was doing. So I think even the, the fact that young people have come up to me with various different reasons they've known me. You're the guy that's running for city council. You're the guy that was on Adult Swim. You're the guy with the weird video. All of them are very different reasons they know me. But they come up 
And usually I talk to them for 20 minutes and within that discussion, I'm like, no, I'm running for city council. This is why I'm running. This is why I'm trying to get more younger people involved. It doesn't matter on how they come up to you with the question. It matters of what you do with the discussion after they ask. You know, all of those questions are equally important, but to me it's what I do with it. But I think that's where the true power is going to come is educating people my age and why it's important and trying to find a way we can all band together. Because I don't think it's going to be one person that... It's like, I'm going to represent the young people. I think it's going to be someone that maybe comes out and gets the attention and then goes, okay, like, let's all get together and try to figure something out. Because if there's a large enough group of us, we can make an impact and make a pretty decent change in our city. Because the one thing I, I asked at so many events, especially ones with younger people, I said, raise your hand if you've ever had, if you've ever heard somebody say, a friend say, I cannot wait to get out of Amarillo. And with all these younger, it was just all hands were up. And that was the thing. I was like, I want to change that. Like, I hate the mindset of, I can't wait to get out of here. You didn't have that mindset. I mean, you were not looking to escape here. No, no, never. And that's the thing. It's just like, we need to, with Amarillo, you kind kind of have to own it a little bit. And I'll say Amarillo can be hard. If you're a younger person, an artistic person, creative person, it can be a little hard sometimes. But I always say my biggest creative force was, walking against the wind that that's kind of my drive is i i feel like it's more invigorating to be creative and involved when you have some pushback that that's the thing that inspires me but i think a lot of younger people now we kind of need to own it and say well i'm going to stay here and i'm going to say what i want to see change whether you know whether people want to hear it or not because i think too many young people think well nobody cares what i think just like, well they might i mean you, you kind of have to put it out there first and then see you know i want you to look maybe five years from now. Um, where do you see yourself? And are you hopeful about what Amarillo will be like at that point? Um, I mean, the thing with me is whenever anyone asks where do you see yourself in five years, I legitimately don't know because last year, this time, I was not thinking I, thinking I'd be running for city council. So it's kind of hard That's for legit. me to say where I'll be in five years. You might accidentally make another video and have to run maybe, for something maybe, else. Maybe, maybe. But I mean, hopefully in in five years, I'll still be doing creative things with my music, but then in five years at that point, I will have worked on and developed the more political side and the more com- community involvement. That's where I hope more so to see myself in five years is maybe somebody that could be more of a leader and more of a representative who people my age saw as like them. I think that's the thing people want to see is they want to see somebody who's a leader who they think is like them. Because that's something I want to see. I want to see more people that I'm like, Hey, that, that person looks kind of like me and lives similar to I do. I think that's what I'd like to see in five years, hopefully, is I want to be in a spot where I'm hopefully leading in a way. What, what have you learned in this process, you know, running for office, talking to so many people, digging into all the different issues? Like, what have you learned about Amarillo itself? I think the thing I've learned about Amarillo is it definitely hit home how there's so many dynamics in Amarillo, so many communities. Amarillo is, is I've, I've said, it feels like there's so many towns within Amarillo. Amarillo, I feel like it's a journey of hopefully connecting all of these parts because it's still, I think Amarillo still struggles with a, a divide. And going all around and meeting all these different people, it was interesting seeing all of the different 
perspectives because I met with a lot of different people. I even I, I went and spoke at a church to, to the South Sudanese community and hearing their perspective of Amarillo. Everyone has an entirely different perspective of Amarillo, and no one person's perspective is the definitive perspective on what Amarillo is. Right. To me, to find the truth, you have to go out and seek the overall picture from different perspectives. Because I couldn't, I told people a lot that when people ask me, what do you think's best for Amarillo? I would always say, well, me personally, I don't know what's collectively best for Amarillo. But I think the collective population knows. But it's finding a way of how do we pull all of those perspectives together where you can have a better understanding of what's necessary. Because I think that's where it becomes problematic is nobody has a definitive truth or definitive perspective that's a fix-all. You're never going to find that. I, the truth lies within the collective perspective that exists within the 200,000 people that live here from all these different communities because it's astounding. Given, given that diversity, are you hopeful that we are able to reach into all those different groups and kind of figure out what's best for all of us, for the South Sudanese church, for the people who are living and working and starting businesses downtown, to the millennials who are disaffected and are trying to leave but haven't been able to leave. I mean, how, how do we create something and sustain something that talks to all of those people? Well, I think some, some things I've been seeing starting are a good sign when I see that there's like an advisory committee for San Jacinto. Things like that where you start getting people together as a collective, that think tank, and start to bounce ideas. And there are people that are from those communities. I mean, that's why I kind of push so hard for single-member districts. I think Amarillo would benefit from having representation from all the different communities because Amarillo is so hard to understand at large because it's collectively it's a puzzle. And, and I think that's where I see hopefully the positive momentum coming is we need to have better representation on a community basis and stop and hopefully move away from an at large view of going, well, this is what Amarillo needs because Amarillo is. The thing I realize, Amarillo is astoundingly complex. It's a very complex place, and there's a lot to be learned. And I think um, we need to get outside of our bubble. Because I've said the one thing I've, I feel is some people, they have their house, they have their Walmart five miles from their house, they have their restaurants they frequent within that radius, and a lot of people don't leave their radius within Amarillo. Yeah. And I've said the one, the biggest community connector in our city that people don't realize how powerful it is, is food. Said if you, the first time a lot of people ever went into North Heights was because of Delvin's. Yeah. Food is the ultimate connector that breaks down all barriers of any of, of you know any perception. People will go to wherever they're like, oh, there's a place that serves food here, and they go in, and that's how you actually start to build these connections. It's a lot smaller than you would ever believe. It's actually on a smaller ground level where you start making people get together and connected. It's it's on a, it's. It's not as big as people think it has to be, but I think that's where people start getting connected. We need to start getting outside of our bubbles and visiting the city as a whole. Don't stay in your individual zone that, that you're comfortable with. You need to actually get out and explore your own city. Hey, it's Jason uh, back in the studio again for a sponsor message. This week's episode is sponsored by Sidecar Photo Booth Company. Now, if you've ever been at an event with a photo booth, you may have seen a bunch of quirky props like mustaches and weird hats and sunglasses and stuff. That's not sidecar style. Their minimal open air approach puts the focus on people rather than silly costumes. They use professional equipment that's, I mean, it's just unmatched in this area and the results are amazing. When you do a, a sidecar photo booth photo, I mean, you'll post those photos on Instagram and Facebook. You'll make them your new profile pic. 
I had Sidecar come out to my live show and I just I love the results. So if you're having a graduation party or a wedding or any event this summer that you want to document, talk to Sidecar. It's the best photo booth in Amarillo. And I mean, that's not just their marketing copy. That's me speaking. That's my opinion. It's why I had them out to the show. So learn more at sidecarphotobooth.co and follow Sidecar Photo Booth Co. on Instagram. Okay, now it's time for everybody's favorite part of every episode I've ever done. It's never the guest. It's never me. It's the eight straight section. Hayden, this part of the show is called eight straight. Your job is my guest. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions, and you've got to answer those in as much detail as you'd like to. Okay, the first one is one that's specifically for you because you just ran for city government. You've spent a lot of time thinking about Amarillo's needs. What do you think is the most important change that we need to make right now? We need to make as the population or what I would like to see changed on the... Uh, on. Let's... Let's, this will be the one place we talk about an issue or uh, okay. something government-related. Um, Amarillo needs to adopt single-member districts okay. as opposed to at-large. So that's, explain that for people who may not understand okay. all the, the ins and outs of that. So Amarillo currently utilizes an at-large government, an at-large system, meaning that we have a mayor, four city council members that are elected at-large, meaning the whole city votes for all of those spots. If you look at a city like Lubbock, they have it set by single-member districts, meaning that you have a mayor in six council members that are elected by district, meaning that you vote for the representative who represents the district you are from, not for the entire city. The reason why most cities our size and bigger have adopted single member districts is it's a better form of governing for cities our size and bigger because you get better representation on a community basis instead of at large, where again, people get lost in the mix out of the discussion because it's too much ground collectively to cover for that, for a mayor and four council members. I think Emerald needs, um, I mean, you're probably six council members that are elected by district. That would be the biggest thing we could do for positive change in Amarillo. What does it take to change that? Well, that's a tricky thing. It's actually been voted on twice before, and it, it hasn't, hasn't passed. And people have said, well, we voted on before. Well, how would you get that change? I think actually better education on the subject. Because if you're on a looking at balance, you have a large single member district. If you don't know what that means, right. you're not going to have a whole lot of incentive to click it, you know. But I think if people knew what it could benefit the community, I think there could hopefully be more drive for it. And I've told people we are utilizing what I think is an antique form of government, still using at-large as kind of a relic that I think we're too big for now. I think Emerald has far outgrown that system, and we need to use a more modern, better form of governing with single-member districts. I think if people knew that, hopefully there would be more drive to actually vote on it and pass it, but uh, it's, it's a little tricky. All right, so you mentioned that food was the one thing that is going to unify the city. So what is your favorite restaurant in um, my, That's a tough one, but probably overall the restaurant I frequent the most is Saigon. Saigon is uh, an absolutely incredible restaurant. I think it's uh, Vietnamese restaurant. One of the original Vietnamese places. I yes, think. and food's phenomenal. I eat there to such a point that I feel like I, I look creepy. So I eat there, like, there's been times it's been twice a week, and I feel like they're like, why does he keep coming here? But that's <clears throat> that's my favorite restaurant in Amarillo, but I have to give a shout out, uh, shout out to um, the North Heights Discount Cafe. If you haven't gone there, go there. Their food's phenomenal. Delray's is phenomenal. Shiley's is phenomenal. Those are all within like a one minute radius yeah. of each other. Go to all three of those. They're great. Go to Saigon. Those are my favorite places. Okay, what does this area have too much of? Uh, chain restaurants. Too many chain restaurants. Do you think that 
that that's okay for travelers passing through on I-40 for the population here? Do we need that many? No. Or we, you just don't? <laughs> just not no, we, we have way too many chain restaurants, and uh, the, I, I want to see less of that because I, it's, it shouldn't be like a hotel chain restaurant stop through type town. There's more to Amarillo than that, and um, chain restaurants don't really benefit much to Amarillo, and uh, yeah, less chain restaurants. Okay, what does this area not have enough of? Um, I mean, a thing, this is kind of an obscure reference, but I've talked a lot about food deserts in Amarillo, mm -hmm. meaning like certain communities that don't have an accessible grocery store or access to produce. Like their like most accessible food is like a gas station. Well, like San Jacinto, for instance. Yes. Yeah, so I feel like there's not enough like smaller grocery store food outlet resources for people that don't have it close. And there was something actually I talked about during a forum was, I said I noticed those Walmart neighborhood markets popping up, which if you all know what those are, they're like a small, compact Walmart that uh, doesn't have TVs and treadmills, but you can get, like, essentials. Yeah. And I, I, when, they, when those first started popping up, I was like, those would be great for those areas that don't have, like, accessible, like, fresh produce, because at, at least it's something closer. And I know it's a Walmart, so it's – I'm not – Promoting Walmart, screw Walmart. But um, but then I was joking that they only they started tonight's episode is sponsored by Walmart. Walmart. Uh, but I noticed they started popping up like one minute from super centers. I was like, what's the point of that? Yeah. It was just yeah. like one minute away from a Walmart. But I feel like but that's people that forgot something during the Walmart. Yeah, uh, I can't enjoy that two minutes. I have this one here. But that's something that there's not enough of is uh, accessible food for these communities that have to drive halfway across the city to go to a Walmart Supercenter over off Coulter. Okay. No. Um, so you've ended up talking to a lot of people outside Amarillo who no doubt have asked you, what is Amarillo like? So like, what's, what's your really quick elevator pitch? This is what Amarillo is. How do you describe the city? Um, that's a, 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 a quick one. Yeah, do it. Amarillo is a unique cowboy Western community of very unique individuals that all bring something interesting to the table. There's a lot of characters here. Um, it's like a very beautiful, strange movie, and that's what I tell people is that's what Amarillo is. Amarillo is a mystique. It's it's the Wild West. Um, it's a it, it's I, I I want to actually reference a quote because it always stuck out to me. Is I remember there was a quote by Stanley Marsh where he was asked why he liked Amarillo, and he said Amarillo lives in like a an agreed state of chaos and we like it that way and I always love that because that's the thing about Amarillo is there's this whole wild west kind of the the wildest people you ever meet are from Amarillo and that's to me is a huge compliment Amarillo is just full of characters when was the last time you went to Paladura Canyon honestly probably like a year and a half it's been a minute and I'm disappointed by that with me because we have this like absolutely incredible resource but I think a lot of us just kind of sometimes forget about it it's like oh you know there's the second largest canyon in the world out there you know, I think you, uh, it's been a minute. I need to go back. Okay. Next campaign video. This is in Powder Canyon. <laughs> What's your favorite street in Amarillo? Favorite street? I mean, probably, I would probably just have to say just right on 6th Street, just because it's where I probably go the most. It's close to my house, and you have, like, the 806 and the Golden Light and all that down there. So that's probably my favorite street because I'm just around there the most. I okay. frequent that street the most. Oh, speaking of characters, there's a lot of characters on that street. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Okay, what's your favorite music ven venue 
in Amarillo? I know you've played like in some weird places, backyards, et cetera, but what's your favorite venue? Well, uh, I'll answer with two things because in terms of a traditional venue, probably the Golden Light in terms of traditional, but my absolute favorite venue is not a venue, it's house shows because yeah. Amarillo has recently been, there's been more house shows and those are my favorite kind of shows to play or in backyards or in living rooms. Those are probably my favorite venues in Amarillo or in houses, but traditional venues, Golden Light. Why is that? Tell me why a musician likes that sort of intimate venue, like a house show. House shows are just more fun. It's like your friends show up, you have beers, you see all your buddies, you talk. You go up, you can play. There's no like background sound of like people making coffee or people that. <laughs> there, which there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing though, when people go to a house show, they are only there to hear the music. There's not you're not there for any other reason. So you're less likely to have people that are chatting in the background there to do homework or stuff like that. You you have a more attentive audience in a house show and it's a lot more quiet. Um, one show I played at my house was one of the weirder sets I did with the weird noise stuff. I turned out all the lights in the house and no one could see anything. And it was just all these creaking weird noises. And afterwards, there's so many people, they were like, that, that was weird. And then just left. But yeah. that was, that was uh, one of my favorites was that. Yeah. Every musician's dream is for yeah. people to just quietly walk away yeah. feeling weird. No, that's a, that's a great thing. Okay, so um, that concludes the eighth straight. Typically, I'll end by asking my guests to endorse something, but I'm not going to do that for you. What I want to do now is invite the audience, since this is the first show I've done with an audience, to ask any questions you have. Hi. Um, I work right by this giant mural of you, and you have this, like, strange Gerber baby mouth, and I just want to, like, stipple and put, like, a, like, kind of, like, like a George Michael, like, faith beard on it? Would that be, like, offensive to you, or are you giving me the green light? It would not be offensive to me. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> what about the, the, the artist? Would, would that person find it offensive? Um, Malcolm, his name is Malcolm Byers, is the artist of that mural, and he's an absolutely phenomenal artist. The kid's a freak. Absolutely. By freak, I mean he's just too talented. I don't mean it like a legitimate freak. He might be, I don't know. But he's a, he's a really, really incredible artist. I, I, but I think he would laugh at a beard, beard on it. Um, the original one that he did was on that free wall. That was, people can graffiti and spray paint all over it. And two days after that one was put up, we were like, let's go see if we can still see it. It was completely covered. Just had a bunch of penises on it. So, so uh, I guess I guess it can't it can't get much worse. I mean, so see your, your, your. Okay. Other questions. So, are you going to run in twenty twenty one? Are you going to announce another run? Um, at this point, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if that's what's going to be next for me because I do see a lot of future for me um, in political engagement, community engagement. But I'm not entirely sure if that's going to be the answer. It could be. But at this point, um, I'm kind of in the development phases of how I want to harness what I did and move it into the future. Like I said, I, I'm a big fan of not trying to assume things too quickly on how they should be because sometimes you miss the opportunity you should, you should go for. But um, it's, uh, running again is definitely possible. It's not out of the question. How can we as a community get younger people involved in politics and to get them to vote? Um, I think the smallest thing you can do to get younger people involved in politics is um, something funny I noticed is if you want to get youth engagement in politics on a local level, it all starts at the coffee shop and the bar. Um, because it all starts with a discussion of going, 
oh, do you see who's running for mayor? And it, it starts from there where you start going, well, what do you think should happen with Amarillo? Because I notice a lot of young people are very opinionated on the future of Amarillo, which I'm like, you guys are so opinionated. Why not use that for something? But I think it starts on a smaller level of beginning the discussion amongst you and your friends, um, getting a group together that's interested in what you want to see in Amarillo and then go, okay, from this, what can we do with that? Because my goal, I even said that my goal wasn't even 100% winning. I said, my goal is if in five years I saw a 23-year-old run for city council and they said, well, I did it because I saw you do it. That to me would be a goal in itself. If I hopefully inspire some other people to try, don't, don't do it expecting to win. Do it with the hope that you might make some type of change. Because I think if you get in the mindset of, I want to do this to win, it can, it can kind of bog down something possibly better. But that's, that's what I'd like to see with younger people with engagement is it's going to happen a lot on social media. The discussion on social media, but also off asking, are you registered to vote? Are you going to vote? Do you know what the vote's for? Because um, I had a lot of people, the coolest thing ever was that we had an election party the day of the vote and we had some bands play and a bunch of kids came up to me with the I voted sticker. And not only did they say I voted for you, some of them said you were the first person I've ever voted for, wow. which was astounding. That that was a real mind bitter for me. It was just like, wow, like, like uh, I, I've never even voted for president, but you're the first person I've ever voted for. And that to me was validation enough for what I did. That was the absolute reason why is seeing all these kids come up with I voted stickers. I was like, I won. Like, not to be corny, but I was like, I won. That was, I, I, uh, I celebrated that night. And the thing was, after the results came in, I found out I lost. Um, I went up to give a speech. All these kids there to see the bands and me. And I, I said, I just saw on the news that, uh, found out that I lost. And I heard, oh, like all these people signed. I said, but out of the four people that ran for place one, I came in second place. And they just lost it, like, just like a point. Yeah! And I, I love that they applauded over second place. Yeah. <laughs> Other questions? Did you get any hostility from people? And uh, what age groups did you find the hostility coming from? Were there young people that were hostile to you? I saw a few Facebook posts where people got kind of crazy. But. There was there was some hostility. It, uh, it honestly was way better than I thought it was going to be. I, I was thought like, it was me. Well, I, it wasn't hostile. That wasn't hostility. Um, the, the thing was, I think one of the, one of the funniest moments was I got a message from a friend. They were like, did you see that letter to the editor in the Globe News today, like two days ago? And I was like, no. And he sent it. And um, some some guy like was trashing my campaign in the letter to the editor. And it was just kind of an odd moment when you're reading this and you're just like, I've never met you before, but I mean, I would definitely like to meet you. and have Well, a and it was a young person too, right? Yeah. I feel I, like I mean, it was a, it, somebody in their 20s who was... Kind of. I, I mean, I think there was some weirdo dynamics possibly behind it. I don't know. I mean, overall, it was kind Son, of... Son, I need you to write a letter for me? Maybe. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say that, but... Yes, it was. No, I'm just kidding. But, but um, overall... Overall, I would say I was really glad with the lack of hostility I felt that was there. I mean, I felt like people were overall really, really kind towards me, and I greatly appreciated that. It was, for the most part, I really did not get much kick, like kickback from people, and even people that were like, "Um, I mean, I probably won't vote for you. I mean, it, it was all civil, like, and I was fine with that, you know, but overall, people were actually really, really positive about what I was doing, so that was nice. I have a question. Jasmine. Um, 
if or when you run again, will you be taking donations? Um, I'll say if I do run again, I would most likely take donations because the one thing that was hard at forms is when you're not accepting money, you don't have yard signs, you don't have mailers, you don't have cards. And I would have people say, do you have a, do you have a card to, so I can look you up? And you're like, no, I don't. Like you felt, you felt very amateurish and you, you need those things. I mean, yard signs, maybe not so much because yard signs don't really equate to votes, but having some print things, some mailers, some, uh, and I think sometimes when people see that people are, are supporting you through donations, it kind of maybe validates you a little bit more. You seem a bit more official, but if I ran again, I most likely would take donations. Um, the funniest part that I'll point out is when this was all new to me running was when you had to file for the place on the ballot, you also, before that, had to appoint a treasurer, a campaign treasurer. And I was trying to think of someone, and someone was like, hey, you know you can be your own treasurer, right? And so I appointed myself my own campaign treasurer, because luckily I was pretty good at managing the zeros. The zero dollars. Yeah, I was good at managing the zeros. But This is really more of a statement than a question. I really feel like you need to run again. There was this building down on 10th Street a few years ago that had this crazy mural on the side of it. And I don't recall who the mayor was at the time, but I heard that he said, not in my town. I don't want that in my town. Yeah. And that's just the wrong attitude to have. This is everyone's town. We need some young blood in government positions. So I encourage you. I hope you run again. Well, thank you. I hope you do it from the government position and the position you spoke about earlier, outside of the government realm. So I think, you know, this is... You got your feet wet, you got a taste of it, go for it. Man. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what is your take on our little babies committing suicide? From some of them coming from home, broken homes, and some of them are being bullied. And just want to know what you think about that. What can we do? Well, I, obviously, I think it's a tragic thing, a tragic situation, but I, I think the main thing that happens is people feeling isolated or not accepted, and I feel like this is a weird thing to connect it, but I've always said one of the best tools I've seen is kids that go to, like, live shows and experience a community. I mean, something I remember is my wife grew up in Dumas, and their experience oddly enough, like hardcore music, like punk. And that sense of if people feel a belonging in something, you know, I, I think that's part of the reason why a lot of that happens is people feeling like they don't belong, they're not accepted. And we live in a very aggressive social media-centered age where people feel more isolated than they've ever been and don't feel like an in-person contact or community. I think a lot of things, a lot of positive things can happen from people getting off the internet and getting into an in-person community where they feel a togetherness. I think that's where a lot of it comes from. I think sometimes we have a tendency here, at least some people do, to, to try to maybe shave off the pointy corners of a lot of different people to make us all, you know, let's all be kind of nice and the same, and you believe what I believe, and you do the things that I do. And, and I've had so many discussions lately as part of this podcast with other people that there is a group of weirdos for every weirdo in this city, that everybody has a place Everybody can find a community that will embrace them. The problem that we often have is that we see those weirdos who are not like us, and we say, you guys got to stop that and fix what you're doing so that you can become more like me because you're making me uncomfortable, and yet that's the group that is going to make this hurting kid super comfortable. That's yeah. who they're looking for. 
Well, some I, I, I wish we were we were less interested in trying to make everybody just like us. Yeah. Uh, something I'll throw in was uh, like a year and a half ago, there was a local punk band I was a big fan of. Me and a friend booked a show with them in his garage, in his backyard. And one of the most incredible moments, an Amarillo moment, was while this band's playing in this little garage, all of us were bumping around, pushing each other around. It was a crowd of metal kids, hipster hipster weirdos, artists, like all of us together. I was just like, this is a weird group of people in a garage pushing each other, laughing, having a fun time. And that's where weirdo community comes in is like when people all come together and they're like, I've never hung out with you before. And everyone meets. That's the most incredible thing with those kind of house shows. It's people from all zones come together and they're like, oh, my name's this. And then five minutes later, they're shoving each other, laughing. That's, that's but happy you, shoving. Not yeah, no, not, not violent. It's fun. It's people having fun, but... Uh, never underestimate the power of punk bands playing in garages. Okay. Um, you had mentioned earlier that you've heard a lot of people saying, man, I've got to get out of this place. Um, what would you say is the most effective or a good way to go about going and changing things or making it a different place for the younger, us young peeps? Um, what would you say is an effective way to go about that in Amarillo? I think a big one is more accessible self-expression, a better organic community because I've said sometimes in Amarillo it's hard to be an artist it's hard to be a musician and it's hard to be creative and a lot of that where it comes in is lack of resources lack of places to express yourself I think if people a lot of young people end up leaving Amarillo because they feel like they can't express themselves here and grow which I think you can I think it's more of grabbing the community coming together and going uh you're an artist, you're a musician, let's let's do a show in a house. It actually happens on a much smaller level. It's more organic, but I think it's it doesn't need to be underground. It needs to be brought to the surface. And I think another thing too, me personally, if you want to have more younger people here, is we need to have more accessible job opportunities if you don't have a college degree. And then another thing, even if you do have a college degree, how do we keep them here instead of moving to bigger job markets? Yeah. I think we need to go, what do they need to keep them here? Because that was a tough thing for me. I didn't have a college degree. And the only way I found a career was working at a bank. You know, it was kind of a little nerve wracking. If only Amarillo had a few banks. If only had a bit more. <laughs> yeah. Or a gas station I could work at. Or an accessible one. But that's the big thing for me is... Um, people end up leaving Amarillo because they think it's a small town. They think it's a dead end. But Amarillo isn't a small town. Amarillo is not a dead end. It's just you have to do some digging here. Sometimes you have to do it yourself. But it's far more rewarding if you do it yourself here and make things happen with limited resources. That's where a lot of power comes out. Is uh, Amarillo has a lot of creative people come from it because they make a lot with a little. And that's how you see true talent. But then once they make a lot with a little, we need to reward them for that instead of losing them to other places. All right. Hayden Pedigo, thank you so much for being on the show. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks uh, first and foremost to Hayden Pedigo for the interview. Thanks to Arts in the Sunset for hosting the event. I want to say thanks to everybody who attended and especially thanks to this week's sponsors, Jimmy John's and Sidecar Photo Booth. This show is produced, written, and hosted by me every week, but it's edited by Angelina Medina. Executive producers of Hey Amarillo include Josh Wood, Neil Nossiman, Wilson Lemieux, Ryan Pennington, Patrick Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Katie Linger, Daniel Davis, Wes Reeves, Corey Burns, and Criselda. A lot of them were at the show Friday night. I'm grateful they came. Anyway, thanks for listening. Check out our Facebook page for some sidecar photos of the event. My name is Jason Boyette. I'll see you next week.